You are listening to the Enormo Cast. I don't know what's happening in your neck of the woods, but out here in the great American West, it's the start of desert crack season, which means two things. The bros are charging up their Bluetooth speakers, and people are wondering where the hell they're going to get enough cams. But Black Diamond has your back. On top of the heap are the Camelot Ultralights, cams so fleet that Elon Musk once shot one into space strapped to a bottle rocket. And then there's the venerable C4, the cam that still rules the creek. And legend has it, if you whisper Camelot, Camelot, Camelot into a mirror while holding a red C4 to your forehead, the location of the easiest for you 12 minus will be revealed. And don't forget the dinky Camelot X4s and X4 offsets. But do forget about clean underwear if you start whipping on the .1 in sandstone. But wherever your crack reveals itself, remember, BD has you covered with the sweetest cams known to man. Check them all out at blacktimeandequipment.com or your favorite local shop. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing here? Where are you doing the uh, Enormo Dome, whatever it is? It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, the big place. That's, out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll see. You really should. What the hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a freight end on your rope. And I'm cutting it out. Good weather, bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enorma cast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is March 3rd, about 10 o'clock here in Colorado. This is episode 146 of the Enorma cast, a long overdue conversation with Northeast Climber, now, currently, Mike Burhart. And I'm killing several birds with stones in this one. Birds are being killed by stones over and over again. First of all, it is long overdue that I have Mike on. We sort of talk about it in the interview, so I won't get too many details. But she's tried to be on the show a couple times, and I lost the interviews for various reasons of ineptitude. So she's back. I think I'm going to make it through this editing session without deleting anything and have this out, I hope, in the future when you're listening to it through the amazing podcast time travel machine. Also, got another woman on the show, always looking to have women on the show, and it's often raining men around the enormous cast, but got two in a row this time. I don't know how many times I've done that, but here we are. And finally, I don't know if this is a stoned bird or not, but I want to make sure and mention the American Alpine Club. They actually brought me out to uh, Boston for their annual benefit dinner. And while I was out there, I took the time to head up into the Northeast and talk to some folks like Micah up in North Conway. So it was thanks to them that I arrived there to begin with. And even though I didn't get this one right at their event I wanted to bring up the American Alpine Club, and we'll talk further and in more detail about them uh, when I do run one from their event, but I want to make sure you guys understand that 
being a part of the American Alpine Club is something that every card-carrying climber needs to do. It's one of those organizations that, that has helped create the community that we so love. But also as a member, you get discounts on gear, you get discounts on lodging at their campgrounds, you get insurance, rescue insurance, and of course, you're just supporting their conservation efforts, their bolt replacement efforts, their education efforts, and all the things that go into them promoting our community. So consider having a look Go over there if you are not a member to AmericanAlpineClub.org and uh, look around, see what you get, see if it seems like a good idea really goes hand in hand with an access fund membership. Those are the two things, man. You got to have those two things. So have a look. Okay. Quick apology for this one being late. It's only late now in the present. If you're listening to it months from now, it was not late. So again, the magic of time travel in the future, I will be forgiven. But uh, yeah, February got kind of out of hand with a lot of travel, including the trip up to the Northeast to Boston for the event. And then around New Hampshire and Massachusetts to uh, talk to some people, which is going to be for our benefit because I got a lot of good interviews up there with some people that I wouldn't cross paths with normally. So this is the first one. Thanks again for listening and being so forgiving in the future when it doesn't matter anymore. All right, let's get to it. An interview with climber, conservationist, guide, mother, wife, what else? This woman has a lot of stuff on her plate. Micah Burhart. Now we all know that Sportiva makes the best climbing shoes this side of the Parthenon. But it turns out that even the most dedicated dirtbags have to spend an ungodly amount of time on the flats among the sad, lost, lowland civilians. And that's where Sportiva's approach shoes come in. Legends like the Boulder X can comfortably scramble you up slabs, boulders, easy pitches until the big guns come out. And for when you're not actually in the mountains, well, as you peruse the hemp milk selection at the whole paycheck, nothing says, don't fuck with me, I've climbed El Cap, like a brightly colored pair of TX3s that are relentlessly scuffing the floor. Bellied up to the bar for that post-near-death experience beer? Let them know those gobies didn't come from labor with a pair of impossibly lightweight TX2s. After all, isn't the day-to-day drudgery just a protracted scramble to the next climb? Whether you're actually at the cliff or just standing up in your best friend's wedding, you better be ready in a pair of multi-sport approach shoes from Sportiva. Just basically like... Speed bagging her boobs with his feet all night. Just, and he, she would get him away, and he'd come. I call him the tick, yeah, because he's like, if you sleep with them, he's the full-on little heat-seeker missile. And, and so he just, she was just saying he was just like kept coming over and like kicking her boobs. Oh, brutal. Okay, cool. I have to start with a, my apology. So, you know, I haven't used every single episode I've ever recorded. And, and I've screwed up some technically before, but you're my only two-time champion of where I screwed up both your um, interviews. And the first one was live, I think, right? Yeah, it, it was totally... Oh, my God, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. And you were a part of the panel, and and I just... Whenever I, I used to... Well, continue. The live ones are tough if I don't have someone there who's helping me record it. Yeah. And usually the climbing events the whoever's running the sound is just barely 
capable of that and yeah. doesn't really have and a lot of times the equipment also doesn't have a way to get a sound out of there so anyway i screwed it up i knew i was screwing it up while we were doing it yeah. and what i should have done is i now i would have just stopped the whole thing and but you feel pressure when you're like doing an event yeah. to make it like work so i i could see the levels spiking on my recorder and i just didn't get up and go deal with it yeah so anyway so it was that one was screwed up but you're only a one part of that one and then to to make up for that one we just sat down again at our like what two or three years ago yeah 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 and then at your cd hotel room yeah my cd hotel room as was the, yeah. was was the way and then i accidentally recorded stevie haston right over you oh you I never know. told me yeah why. i'm sorry <laughs> i know and that's probably like you know it, i'm glad stevie got to talk to you and it was recorded yeah yeah so anyway but i it, I, I don't know what I, I still don't know what I did, but I just didn't. Um, <laughs> well, maybe anyway. we're supposed to talk now. Yeah. So yeah. here I am. I've come all the way to North Conway, thousands of miles. Yeah. And to repent. finally sitting in your office and we're going to get this one done. So as I recall, um, we talked a whole lot about conservation in Africa um, in conjunction with climbing. And that is still ongoing. And so if you would mind picking up where you left off <laughs> and maybe covering some of the basics um, about that because that's like I mean I think it was I think it was probably two years ago or yeah it could have been three that we talked I think it was three I don't think okay. I was pregnant so I think it was three years oh ago. yeah that's right yeah God, time goes by I know fast. right yeah Jeez Louise yeah so yeah so the fact that you're it wasn't even on the radar right yeah and the yeah. fact that you are continuing with that is uh, is a statement to I mean, the power of what you'd created at that point. Because a lot of times, you know, I talk to people about stuff like that and mm -hmm. then, you know, they moved on pretty quickly from yeah. things. So, yeah, you're sticking with it. It's a passion and, and uh, a full-on yeah. thing. So let's talk about that first. Yeah, give totally. Me the, give me the spiel. The, okay, so the spiel is that I'm the executive director of an organization called Legado, which means legacy in Portuguese and Spanish. And we work to protect the most vital mountain rainforest ecosystems by working hand in hand with the people who live in those mountains. So, you know, largely a climber audience for the normal cast, right? Yeah. Largely. Almost, you know, I would say. 90. I hear once in a while from yeah. non-climbing listeners, but All right. I think so, they're pretty rare. So I would say like, you know, if you talk to most climbers and you say, close your eyes and imagine an iconic mountain. Right. Most times they close their eyes and they think of these iconic mountain ranges like the Patagonia Massif, they think about, you know, the Alps, they think about Denali, they don't think about people in this iconic image that they have, right? Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that most of the mountains in the world, especially most of the mountains of the world that we need to, like, actually give a damn about from a biodiversity perspective, have people living on them. So changing that image that we have as climbers, so when we close our eyes and th see these wonderful mountains, that they're actually riddled with people, and the real nut to crack right now, I believe in conservation is actually how to go about preserving these mountain ecosystems with those communities. Right. So that's the work that we're doing. And it's, you know, me being a climber was super integral to starting this work because I went to Mozambique to this giant 2000 foot granite face and brought climbers up there to find new species of ants and geckos and snakes and to catalyze this conversation about what it meant to bring mountain conservation kind of into the limelight in East Africa. So that's, uh, it was a mission yep. to make i mean to show or be aware that there's there's this environment up there yeah initially it was it was this idea i had to pair climbers scientists and conservationists okay. to say okay if we all 
get together and we work together in one of these areas, like what's the impact we can make. Mm-hmm. So instead of just doing a flash in the pl- a pan trip where you go on a climbing trip and you come home and you show people pictures and you're like, wow, that was rad. Instead of just saying, I'm a climber and I'm going to go take scientists climbing. It's like, let's go one more level. Let's actually say we are going to have an impact with the local communities here. What the heck does that mean? Right. right? And so what that's meant is that, you know, that was in 2011 when I started with a pretty crazy idea and four people and $11,000 of funding. So this legato? <clears throat> yep. Started in 2011. It, you created it because yep. I wasn't clear. Yep. I mean, yeah. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. Eleven thousand dollars of funding from like the Petzl Foundation, Patagonia, and Osprey sent me over there um, with Sarah Garlic, who's another woman who lives here in North Conway, a geologist. Um, <clears throat> had a South African herpetologist, you know, we all went over there and we're like, let's go see if this idea is going to like hold weight. Because if you can't actually climb this thing, then this whole idea is going to fall apart. If the science isn't valid, this whole thing is going to be BS. And most importantly, if the communities don't want you to be there, then you have no place in being there in the first place. And all those things checked out and it launched what is now, you know, we just um, raised like a million and a half dollars last year to create one of Mozambique's newest community conservation areas. We are working at scaling our models so we can use it on all these other mountain areas, not only in East Africa, but around the world, because it's, it, the situation is not, is remarkable where I'm working on Mount Namuli, which has exceptional biodiversity, mm-hmm. all these endemic species, so species, things that only live on Mount Namuli, um, the scientists go wild for that kind of thing. Um, and it also has 10,000 people encircling the mountain who are basically living with that mountain and pulling all the wood from it and cutting down the rainforest because that's what they need to do to actually live in a way that they can survive. So how do you shift that dynamic? And that story isn't unique to Mount Namuli. That story replicates itself across mountains all over the world. So it's like, sometimes I explain to people, you know, what you live in Carbondale, right? That the ro- right. Is that the Roaring Fork Valley? It is. All right. So I bet that there's at least 15 local grassroots initiatives for conservation in the Roaring Fork Valley that are like grassroots. Like we're going to protect this creek behind our, 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 um, like this watershed here. We're going to take mm-hmm. this Canyon, right? Well, that grassroots, conservation that actually gets the people involved who like live and breathe in that environment. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the ticket to the way things work right now, especially in the U S right? Like we don't form 16 new national parks or we do. And then, you know, our asshole president comes along and tries to take them away. So like, you know, Mozambique can't have 15 new national parks. That's right. not going to work for it. But if you can bring grassroots and make it global and make it go back to being local in a place like Mozambique, then you're actually helping people have the ticket to preserve their own spaces in, on their own terms. And that's the work that we're doing. So you're up against, uh, I mean, you're up against, you know, huge tradition in terms of the way these people live. Yep. Yeah. You know, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of years in yeah. a sense. Yeah. So how, how is it that you approach these communities yeah. with this idea and then get them to be interested in what you're talking about? Yeah. And then, and then what do you, th- I guess this is a whole another question, so maybe I'll have to come back to it again, yeah. but you know, and then what are the, um, resources that you can provide or even because like raising a million half bucks for, you know, a little climbing thing that started on 11,000 is amazing. But then, so what does that mean? Like what are we doing with it? Bucks is, you know, when facing some, the lifestyle that needs to be changed. 
I mean, it's not very much money. Awesome questions. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, ultimately what it comes, so first of all, when you say, you know, you're trying to change practices that have been there for hundreds or thousands of years, yeah. that's, that's totally true. And you also have to realize that, you know, a hundred years ago, there wasn't as much pressure on all the resources that are yeah. there, right? There's more and more pressure every year as populations expand. And as people start, you know, trying to move higher and higher into this mountain area to cut down forests because they can no longer cultivate the fields that their grandfather cultivated because their grandfather owns those fields. So the young people oh, right. who are in their twenties are like, well, where's my field? And they're like, oh, cool. I'll look up there. I'll go take, take down that field. Well, all of a sudden, you know, it's the pressure of the resource. So, um, so, so on the one hand it's shifting ideology, but on the other hand, there are already pressures in place that you're responding to. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this comes down to the fact that like anything that's going to happen on Mount Namuli has to be locally led, right? Like this can't come from an outside source. This has to effectively be like intrinsic to the people who are living there. They have Mm -hmm. to make this choice. So it's all about behavior change. It's all about, you know, working with people to say, do you like, is this a resource you want? Is this mountain, you know, you start talking about something called ecosystem services. Mm -hmm. And what that means is like, all right. So where do you get your drinking water? How do you, you know, where do your, where are your fields? Okay. What's the value of that? If you can no longer drink that water, how, what would you have to spend money? Like if you're talking to people who don't actually spend money for that stuff versus like me who has a water bill, right? It's, it's, it's a different conversation, but eventually you get to a value that you can place on these things, the services that your ecosystem mm-hmm. provides for you. And so once you can have a conversation with that about people and say, okay, so what if that was gone? Like, how would you live? How would you actually feed your family? Then people can start, you know, you can start talking about what it means to preserve that Mm -hmm. space. And, you know, a lot of times that preservation is different than how we think about in the West in terms of like, you know, put a huge gate around it. Nobody's going to go in. It's all about concentric circles of use. It might say like, this is the priority rainforest where, you know, we need to have these corridors intact for all these species, but then all these areas around it have different levels of use so that the, that like that community can still live there, right. you know? And right now what we're doing is we're, in, we're engaged in what's called a conservation agreement. We're literally um, negotiating with communities and saying, Hey, we think this could work. You, if you guys think it's going to work, what do you need from us? Mm-hmm. What do you need for the next two years? So you'll stop burning in the upland areas and preserve that rainforest so that for two years, we can all come to the negotiation table and come up with a long-term solution right. because it's like, and it, it's, it's sort of like, it is a short-term solution, but it gives you the time mm-hmm. to make a long-term solution that comes with huge economic, um, agricultural investment, right? right? And so, ultimately, if this is a farming area, then you need to give people another way to farm, and you need to show, you know, we do a lot of different things like perma gardening, and you know, conservation agriculture is another term people use to say like, can you get more value? Can you get more mm-hmm. yield in a in sort of a restorative way out of these crops that you're using versus not to go like to totally derailed in it. But when you do slash and burn agriculture, you're basically stripping all the nutrients from these fields. Right. So, you know, in four years they're, they're done, but if you can approach them differently, then they can give you more value to your household. And also to, you know, if you're selling these crops and they will be replenished long-term. I mean, you're up against kind of the world, like well, the, the problem. <laughs> I mean, the human, the, the ultimate human problem, which yeah. is, which is long-term thinking versus short-term thinking. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's the, I mean, I mean, there's also the physical or whatever problem of, of population growth, and, yeah. but you know, so much of what we look at in these conservation issues, even climate change is a matter of, you know, now versus 50 years from now yeah. or what, even 10 or 20 or, I mean, yeah. It's just like this seemingly intractable problem. I mean, do you... But it also is, you know, when we have conversations, um, for example, you know, a lot of the elders right now on on Namuli talk about the fact that they're... So this is a place that 
Um, Mount Namu is the second highest mountain in Mozambique. It's the ancestral homeland for two million Lomwe people in the like Mozambique and Malawi region. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's just this like giant towering. It's called an Inselberg. It's a granite island like protruding out of like, what was what were rainforests way, way, way back in the day and is now Savannah. So it's very well known. And it's oftentimes covered in clouds, so it's shrouded in warm mythology because it's like coming in and out of the mist and it's like, can you see Namuli? Does that mean someone's gonna die in Namuli if you can't see Namuli that day? And you know, people talk about the fact that, you know, there were there used to be more mist up on Namuli, like before right. people started using the fires. Like there's a there's a there's a knowledge and an awareness that things are already shifting. So I think that helps, you know, have a conversation about like, well what happens right. if that shift keeps going? Versus being, you know, walking in and saying, believe me, believe me, the sky is going to mm-hmm. fall. Like, that's a really hard position to be in. But if you can actually talk to people, you know, and say, like, okay, over your lifetime, what have you seen change? Okay, if we accelerate that, what does that mean that's going to be like for your grandchildren? Um, you know, do you want your grandchildren to be able to live here? Well, it sounds like you guys are, you know, if you actually even have that going on where where these people, you know, are admitting that, yeah, these things are, are ru- ruining Mm-hmm. I mean, that's farther than the U.S. has got right now <laughs> exactly. in, with climate change. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, yeah. It's really hot outside. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. It's like you just Well, we don't have me. like a Freedom Caucus or a Tea Party yet on the right. movie trying to well, like, you know, subterfuge is. this whole... I know, yeah, 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 there's, yeah. You know, yeah. there's probably at least guys that yeah. are... Yeah. Probably going to pop up. You know? Oh, yeah. No, and there's resistance. I mean, this yeah. is not an easy situation by any stretch of imagination, Cluse. And it's, you know, for me... I didn't set out to do the work that I'm doing now. I mean, I set out to, I wanted to, I, what did I, what the heck did I set out to do? I set out to say, yeah, what did you like, set out to do? Hey, I've been going on, I keep pushing the boundary of my climbing and I keep trying to make it have more of an impact. Right. right. And then every time I do that, I see that there's so much more that needs to be mm-hmm. done and so much more that I can do and so much more that I'm uncomfortable about. Right. It's like that edge where you're like, oh, yeah, like I no longer was OK coming up with these these ideas and just walking away and having them be in these little time capsules. I'm like, well, what would it mean if I was actually going to dig in? And, you know, ultimately, my goal in the beginning was that like we could create enough of a spark and someone else would kind of come in and take it up. But back in that time. All the big organizations I talked to, like World Wildlife Fund and Conservation International and all the big names in development, were like, no, we don't want to work with you on, on Mount Namuli. We don't know who you are. You're some like weird climber person who runs these social entrepreneurship projects. And like, what's your track record? Why should we partner with you? And Namuli is a really hard area to work on. And that last piece was probably the biggest sticking point. Because that's the thing about mountains, right? Come on, we all know it. Mountains are, that's why we love going to them. Like they're freaking hard places to travel, to work in, to live in. And so you need different problem solvers to get in there and say, all right, yeah, this has been off the map of social services. You know, the rainy season comes in and obliterates all of the paths and the roads. You know, these are mountain people. Like they're super proud. They super don't want anybody else in their space. Like who's going to be the person to help craft a solution? Well, as it turns out, a mountain person. Is there anything in that list of of uh of problems or that list of difficulties that you've been able to maybe even turn to your advantage yeah i mean i think the the big thing to the advantage is that we got scrappy when i went in there to work on this right like we didn't this was not done in sort of the conventional conservation and development rubric like we brought in crazy different funders we ran a kickstarter campaign ethiopian airlines lush cosmetics supports us through charity pot you know i mean i bring in the whole outdoor industry community you know cliff bar foundation osprey petzl you name it and at the normal conservation table people you know people are like how did you get those funders and because they were used to things happening in a very different way. And so it's been to our advantage in that we've gotten a lot of notoriety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been able to, I would say, 
push that and capitalize on that and be at the table um, with other organizations who've been playing in that um, kind of like in that arena for a longer time. Mm -hmm. And that has now, I mean, when we started, Namuli wasn't even mentioned. The mountains weren't even mentioned in Mozambique conservation mandate. Now Namuli is a name priority. Mm-hmm. And that's in part because of the work we did, the film that we made that, you know, like premiered at Telluride Mountain Film and showed at, you know, like 50 what films that called? called Namuli mm-hmm. and showed at film festivals around the world. It's on PBS right now um, in various states in the U.S. Um, and, you know, it's like we, we upped the pressure, but it wasn't just pressure without action. It was yeah. also, you know, like I have a Mozambican team that we're partnered with mm-hmm. and, you know, we work full time day to day on Namuli and we've been doing that since 2014. And so you had this climbing trip that yep. kind of opened this whole thing. And I guess my question is, is that, or, or maybe my comment is it's not, this isn't about climbing conservation no. whatsoever, because I mean, this sounds like an interesting climbing resource, you know, maybe not a, yeah. an El Cap destination <laughs> climbing resource, you know, so. It's and, run out slab climbing when you're slinging hassocks and grass chunks, right. it's so like it's, gripper. It's, it's of a, it's of a very particular um, <laughs> taste. And I, I guess I just wanted to point that out because, um, you know, so much there's an understanding. I think a lot of times with climbing conservation is that we're trying to protect these places that's a great we want to use. Yeah. yeah. This is not a place for climbers. And that's been the big message for bears ears. Like, yeah. You know, it's yours. You need to climb there. And, and so we need to protect yeah. it. And so it's interesting because this is, you know, like I said, you use this climbing kind of. Um, it's like climbing to, got to me there. To make it sexy, it yeah. probably as a resource. Or, totally. But outside of climbing, because yeah. Yeah, I, I don't, yeah. you know, because I, I remember looking at it last time we talked, and I was like, yeah, probably not on Not the on list. your <laughs> list, yeah. And exactly, because it but wouldn't be, it's, it's cool, a giant I mean, chia pet, right? Yeah, right? Like, why would you go there if you could, like, make other choices as a climber? Right, right. But, if but, you, but if you are actually trying to say, like, okay, if I'm trying to shift the, you know, global conversation on mountain conservation hell yeah you're gonna go there right, right. and that's the that's the piece of it so it's kind of using climbing to for me climbing tricked me into it mm-hmm. right and then now this is this is the work and and honestly i'm really i wouldn't have known this about myself in 2011 when i started doing this but i'm really passionate about how we can bring these types of mountains into the greater conservation embrace because they're not. And that's the thing that I didn't know because I wasn't in the conservation world. I wasn't in the development world. It's like, well, yeah, those things, somebody's looking at someone, someone's taking care of them. It's like, (laughs) not so much, you know? (laughs) Well, um, uh, so you just said when you first went there, you maybe, um, it was a little bit of a different mission, yeah. but, uh, what do you think if we want to go back a little bit into your personal climbing and or whatever, um, path, uh, you know, you said you sort of realized this about yourself. Have you thought about like what led you there? Like, why is it that this was waiting to be kind of opened up in you for so long? And yeah, and maybe a little bit about what your life as a climber was like before that. I mean, I think, I think two things. I think when I was a kid, I was, I loved the outdoors and I lo- like, I grew up in Minnesota and I canoed and I was a ski racer. And, you know, by the time I was in high school, I felt more of myself being on trail. I'd always talk about being on trail to all my friends. I'm like, you just don't understand when I'm on trail. Like, uh, you know, it's like this different existence. And then I'd, you know, be forced back into Minneapolis high school life right. and feel like I was like, you know, it's being slowly, you know, muted out of my life. I'm sure so, they, I'm sure they really enjoyed hearing about that. All, yeah. All yeah. Everyone always wanted to have that conversation <laughs> with me when I was wearing my cinchilla and with my Nalgene and, <laughs> 
you know, had my baggy shorts on because walking around high school. Girl. Let's get out of here. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh my God. She's the, on trail right now. <laughs> with the frizzy hair. Run. Um, yeah. You know, and you know, this other part of me also really, and I say this sometimes when I speak about this, like I really wanted to like, you know, run the UN. And I, I would tell people that I was like, really? I might run the UN, you know, like I loved internet. I loved, I did mock trial in school, right? Like I would pretend to be a lawyer and you'd like try these cases. And I mean, I loved academics also. So mm-hmm. I was sort of, um, conflicted because I kind of liked both of those identities. Mm-hmm. And then when I started climbing, I was, you know, I climbed like more and more when I was in high school. And then when I was in college, I started climbing quite a bit and took a year off of school to climb full time and started guiding then. And I'd work for our bound. Um, and then, so all my on-trail time like manifested into me getting a job at Outward Bound and then you know started guiding for the American Alpine Institute out in Washington State and then I met you when I moved to Colorado to guide for for Colorado Mountain School in 1999 and but the thing is is like no matter how hard I tried to climb all the time I kept getting injured right like I would be like in these car accidents not my fault like you know someone wanted to look at a moose in Estes Park and they pushed someone into my lane and I had a head-on collision going 45 you know miles an hour after I'd been in Estes for a year I couldn't pull off this life of a full-time climber this life of a full-time guy it kind of forced me to have other things going on Mm -hmm. and I think that was a great gift to me when I was in my early 20s and it let me have time to like pursue the other things that I was really passionate about. And that for me, when I would be able to travel and and I was traveling and climbing, I always, you know, I was right by that time I was a writer. So I was trying to tell this like bigger story and there's only so many times you can tell a story of, wow, there's this really cool place and I'm going to go climb. And I climbed and the hand jam was sick and this funny thing happened. And then I came home, like you can maybe make a career out of that. But ultimately for me, it just felt a little like vapid. You know, and I'm like, okay, what's what's this other thing? No, I I understand because because you had a column for yeah. a while, yeah, yeah, for climbing. And I, yeah. I was always not just yours, but whoever's is like, how do they just keep pulling stuff out? You know, and and yeah. I and I I admire sort of the the tenacity of it, but yeah, it's just like, well, how do they just keep yeah. finding this amazing thing? I always joke that like, it seems like every time you'd go climbing or, yeah. you know, something amazing happens and it's all like super meaningful. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man, it must be exhausting. Like some days I just go <laughs> climbing and nothing happens and I'm fine. Like if every time I went climbing, there was like a epiphany, epiphany you'd just be like, Jesus, uh, like, give me a break. Like, like I got to really get ready. I got to climb like once a month, you know, I got to <laughs> really rein it in. Exactly. Cause you know, my mind is being blown like (laughs) anyway so i understand that problem of you know just wringing the stories out of climbing because there's only like a few and to me (laughs) what was what was most interesting to me was never the stories about climbing it was all the stuff that surrounded it Mm -hmm. you know and it's like and 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 the relationships and the because here i I am wringing stories out of climbing. well no but it's like yeah exactly (laughs) i mean i understand you know it's like and it's also about like sort of going into it with this brutal honesty Mm -hmm. and i think that I'd like to think, and I've heard from people that like when I, when I did have my column and when I write, I write with like a lot of sort of self humor and it's like, okay, calling myself on my own BS. And I think that, you know, that is kind of how I exist in the world. And then all of a sudden I was doing, you know, I was in Ethiopia in 2007 with a book deal to write a book about how great climbing is in Ethiopia and to bring all these people to climb in Ethiopia. And it turned out the climbing was horribly scary and shitty in Ethiopia. And moreover, that's a larger conversation to have was like, how do you actually talk about adventure in the context of a country that had largely been known for drought, famine, and poverty. And like, that was way more interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And then that's what started this all for me. It's like, wow, that's way more interesting. And actually, I think I have something to say about that. How long ago was that? That was in 2007. So that that was was a while back. Yeah, that was a while back. I was still writing... Because I remember I got that book from you. I was yeah. writing for the Gazette, I think. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 That was in 2007. Yeah. 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 And it's so for me, like that opened this door to say, kind of, it's, it's like, where am I uncomfortable? Where are the edges of this thing that I'm doing that don't feel right? And how do I need to explore that further? So, you know, then I was in Namibia after the book about Ethiopia came out and we did a first ascent on the highest peak in Namibia called the Brandberg. Kate Rutherford, Peter Doucette, who's now my husband and I were there and uh, Chris Alster and Gabriel Gal were with us. And, you know, we had to rip all these, all this dirt and habitat out of the crack to be able to put up this first ascent. And it was like, damn worth it because we put up this sick like 511 plus whatever like 1800 foot beautiful granite climb but definitely ripping all this dirt out of there and in, in this land that has you know black mambas and you know lots of things that will kill you and probably lots of things that are also i don't know maybe important to the world and you're thinking mm-hmm. huh maybe i should have a bigger awareness of this how do i have a bigger awareness of it and instead of just saying that's awkward and i feel uncomfortable i was like okay let's go lean into the awkwardness like how do i actually do that what does that mm-hmm. look like and that's what became what is now legato you know okay yeah, yeah. and so and all right so between namibia yeah um wasn't I somehow? Did you? Was I on the list to go? Maybe. Or did something? we talk? Oh. Yeah, I think you talked to me about going. Yeah, and I, I think that's yeah. totally right. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. remember why I couldn't yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, Namibia was awesome. Um, you missed out. It was freaking amazing. Yeah, we're, I don't. Yeah. Know, I don't know. I think I was. Yeah, I, I think you maybe just. Asked I do if remember I was talking about that. And yeah, I, and for some reason I couldn't yeah. go. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, we all came to Carbondale to talk about oh, it. Oh, that's right. Totally. Yeah, that dude. Um, what the uh, John? Yeah, the totally. French, God, I uh, the guy with the that. French girlfriend, the filmmaker dude. Oh yeah, Jeffrey Barbie. Yeah, yeah. that's that so funny. That's right. Was, yeah, I had totally forgot. Oh my about God, that. I totally forgot about that. God, yeah. we've known each other a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Seen some shit. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Anyhow, um, yeah. Um, so, so anyway, I was just kind of trying to frame yeah. that time-wise, and then yeah, Namibia happened. The film came out in 2010, mm-hmm. and I like started thinking about Mozambique in 2011, okay. or two, actually 2010. I started planning it, and then 2011 right. I went. Yeah, and then and instead of just going on the trip, yeah, created this this project, or yeah. this idea from the very how beginning. Did, yeah. well, how did you even get wind of that thing? Of the place that we went, yeah. Mount Namuli, um, started asking biologists. Oh, so, okay. like, basically looked at reports, um, knew that, you know, I, like, poured over Google Earth, and I was like, right. what are these cool, and, I, you know, there'd been this um, this group of South Africans who'd gone and climbed some of these different Inselbergs and talked to them, and, you know, realized, like, once I got in close on them, I was like, okay, like, there's vegetation, like, let's just call it as it is, like, what about this could be interesting, right? right like, right. and where could I provide value? So got in touch with one of the great scientists who spent a lot of time in that area and named Jonathan Timberlake and said, Hey, you know, where can, where can I, where can I help? Where can right. these skills that I have help? And he's like, Mount Namuli, that's amazing. You've got to go there and started looking at pictures and got really fired up and initially looked at these pictures and there are all these dark streaks coming down. I was like, Oh my God, those are cracks. It's going to be so great. There is, there's like seven cracks on this entire mountain. It is like, granted that's forms like none other there are no flipping cracks there and no continuous crack systems and it's just like desperado what were the black streaks um they are actually vegetation (laughs) and water runnels right you're like oh not so much (laughs) yeah granite doesn't always crack yeah which is um 
yeah, uh, it's uh, it's nice when it does. But yeah, yeah, totally. Got really good at you know um, pulling it off, slinging grass on it. So, yeah, 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 and gr- probably a lot of grooves. Where is it like the groovy stuff? It's uh, no. I mean, it's actually really tacky. So right. if you could just face climb and, and believe in the fact that you're never going to fall, you're going to do great. And literally, you, we would be like you'd be grabbing these grass hummocks and standing on them, and um, and you know we ended up like bolting on lead and putting bolts in for um, belays and wrap stations and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So yeah, because it was the only way to feel right, like right. there was one out of intelligence and then you're and especially because you're not just climbing it you bring scientists up on there right so you're like okay cool now like deal with all this excavation and look for ants or you know go look in that giant you know the one hanging chimney and see if you can which snakes you can find in there so you're me putting all these like forces let alone some hysteria like <laughs> on cool. see what kind of snake yeah. you can find in yeah that's, that's why great. you always travel with a herpetologist yeah yeah okay yeah so yeah you're <laughs> things just, i've learned so this is not a climbing resource no <laughs> let's emphasize yeah. that again <laughs> looking for snakes um on your climb well let's let's kind of wrap up that discussion of of legato with obviously you're super motivated you're obviously optimistic about this and you know um i think it's probably difficult to be optimistic always when when you're in these places where again that pressure's there probably a poverty that we're not used to around here yeah you know and and again like to you know, to tell people to kind of, if not sacrifice now to, you know, maybe make some changes now for the future is probably really tricky. But what do you think um, the next steps are for you and and, yeah. and the progress that you're going to make, you know, is the government making promises or, or, yeah. or other things happen? I mean, we are, we've now been able to I would say we're now doing the real work. I think it's taken us this long to be able to get to that point in terms of, um, you know, getting the right team assembled, getting the right information. I mean, we didn't even have an accurate number of how many people lived on this mountain because there's been no like real census data, no surveys about everybody who lived encircling it. So, you know, we are now working hand in hand with these communities and hopefully what's going to happen is in this next year, we're going to declare, they're going to declare a moratorium and they're going to stop cutting and stop burning in those upland rainforests. And then we're going to get down and dirty with what it's going to mean to keep that commitment uh-huh. um, and you know and then hopefully bring this set of solutions to other mountain areas so okay. be able to say you know these were the ingredients this is what we found worked let's take it to another mountain area and obviously change it to be unique to that exact location but also be able to use those tools and to use those resources and use those funders and say let's see if we can replicate this and create a series of these small grassroots conservation mm-hmm. initiatives that are community led but do you think that you have to have a presence and or I mean I the word enforcement is sort of in my head yeah you know yeah enforcement happens I mean that comes from the community so there are like patrols that they set up to enforce it all because it just sounds you know there's always also that issue of you teach everybody let's let's say that you 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 teach everybody to have um you know better output from the piece of land that they already have and you know and it sustained them it, it's still going to be then desirable to be like well i want more land yeah so i can have more output for the other yeah. piece of land yeah, yeah. then yeah. i can get twice as much totally. after i burn all yeah. that down and and it feels like sometimes that these these things that happen you know when you have again like outdoorsy groups or whatever going and doing yeah. whatever it yeah. is yeah. you know we're going to give these people you know stoves yeah. or solar power or whatever yeah. And then you split and then, okay, 
you know, the solar panel breaks, yeah. you know, What's five years later, term? is anybody there to be like, oh yeah, yeah. you need another solar panel. Or, or what you just... should have done is had a solar panel that was fixable and right. had made sure someone was trained to do that. You yeah. know, and I'm making that up. I yeah. don't necessarily have a, have no, a I know what you mean. Uh, but I mean, it's sort of like, how can you, what's the difference like between longevity of your, yeah. Program. What does it mean to naively do something versus like really? And, and for us, it, it comes down to the fact that like, this is not something that of, of walking away. I mean, like there will be a conscious program mm. working with those local communities on Namuli, most likely, you know, very accelerated for the next five years. But for the next like 25 mm. years, there's going to be a commitment to like doing what's called capacity building and support and making sure that, you okay. know, the tools are being used, that the communities have what they need. Um, but it has to, again, like that has to come with ownership from the communities. Right. So it's, it's, it's much, in some ways, it's much trickier than just putting together a national park, right? Because if you can isolate something, then you can control it more. Right. If you can't isolate something, then you're really, it, it really comes down to those relationships with the communities and what they ultimately want and them seeing it. And so, you know, there's a host of different uh, sort of partners and, and, and theories that we're using in trainings. I mean, we just had this great thing where, you know, we kind of use uh, like campaigning, like advertising and talk, you know, like these, like the people on Namuli wrote a song about what it means to preserve Namuli. And they, you know, they did it. They used specific language because they went and interviewed and said like, what words would trigger you? It's like, what would make you drink a Coke? Well, the same theories that go into advertising right. are now being used in conservation for that. It's like, what would make you stop burning on the land? Okay. If you heard it this way, okay, so we're going to come back to you. And we're going to sing you this awesome little jingle. Do you like it? Yeah. Do you love Namuli more? Great. And I mean, that's like, those are things that we're employing huh. across the map. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty interesting stuff. And I mean, really, you know, I'm we're sitting here in Jackson, New Hampshire, right? And like we're not in Mozambique. And the reason this works is because I have an awesome team in Mozambique, you know? And I am yeah, like I'm the founder and the executive director of this, but I should not be running this long term. You know, right. the long term fit is that this is going to be run mm -hmm. more locally and you know, and that's that's ultimately the goal. But I'm the person and Legato is the group that's been able to push it to this level this far. How long what's like the longest stint you've even done there? In Mozambique, um, a month straight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, you know, when I, when things started getting accelerating, I definitely was thinking like, what, it would, like, will I move to Mozambique? Right. And then I got pregnant. Right. With twins. Right. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to move to Mozambique right. and have my twins there in part because my life is a climber, frankly, right. because I was like, that's basically saying goodbye to that. And, and, and I, and God damn it. I want to do it all, <laughs> you right. know? And it's like, so I'm going to figure out how to pull this off, how to be a climber, how to be a mom, how to, you know, and you know, like, you know have a really bad head cold when I talk to you. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Um, the, so yeah, so climbing, you know, you, you started to imply a little bit that your climbing wasn't necessarily sustainable, but that's not true. You just, it's in terms of living, you're making your living from it every day, banging it out. It seemed like your body just wouldn't yeah, wouldn't sustain and it, that. It's like I needed something else. Right. And that way I didn't have to just like push myself guiding all the right, time. Right. I could have something else and then I could, and that actually opened it up for me. And that's when I became like a pro climber, right? Because I could mm -hmm. actually step away from guiding oh, yeah, all yeah. the time. Yeah, it's and really like, hard to be a really good climber as a guy. It's super. And some people do it. I mean, right. my husband definitely does it, but mm -hmm. like, you know, for me, that just wasn't, it wasn't the right mix of ingredients. Mm -hmm. Um, so that let me like pursue climbing and, you know, be able to start working with companies that I work with and, you know, so it, it's still in your life. Yeah. In it's a huge way. Hugely in my life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I still climb. I mean, I still, yeah, so tell me, let's talk about that a little bit. We'll yeah. get personal in a way from the Logato yeah. thing. Um, yeah. You know, an old school Norma cast question is what kind of climber are you? <laughs> uh, I'm a, I'm a rock and ice climber. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
I used to, I used to be an alpine climber and I do a fair amount of alpine climbing still, but like I used to be obsessed with like wanting to go to the big mountains. That's not, a, that's not as much on my, you know, I mean, when I was 20, I went, I was like, yeah, I want to go to K2. You know, right. Like, nah, that's not really an objective of mine right now. But climbing like super did hard. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, we should have gone like yeah, back in the day. We would have been a sick team. <laughs> Perfect, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Do you want to go now? No. Yeah, see? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> I would go look at it maybe. Yeah. It, that looks like a lovely valley. Yeah, I know. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and did that kind of, um, those passions change before the kids? Because, I mean, yeah. that's one of the big things about you know, suddenly becoming a Himalayan climber late in life. Yeah. Is that it, it seems like it'd be a little bit irresponsible. <laughs> it's one thing to kind of keep doing it. Yeah. But to change but and to actively change after seek you it out. Kids. Yeah, like, that'd be a little questionable. Steph would, you know, there's no way that would happen in my house. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, just going to drop all this rock climbing and go to the Himalayas. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Does that sound like a good idea, yeah. babe? You want to support me in this? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that happened for me, I would say, um, I mean, I just like technical climbing and I don't like waiting around a lot. Mm -hmm. So I'm more, I'm better suited to, you know, these like fun, the the expeditions that I've done and going to do like first ascent on these, you know, different cool rock formations around Mm -hmm. the world and Mm -hmm. ice climbing and doing like, you know, technical Alpine mix stuff is really fun. But, you know, doing all that at 8,000 meters or 7,000 meters is not as, as, it's just not right now where my passion is. And now that I have these two little kids, you're right. Like I can't, I've sort of let that die off enough that I don't know if I would be like, I am doing an expedition to put a new route on Pomori next year. You know, like that just doesn't make a lot of sense no and yeah. like i said it's fine i mean yeah you make your choices as a parent and, yeah and uh good and bad but yeah yeah to, i mean i can get really of, scared yeah. 10 minutes from my house yeah, climbing totally, yeah. and make like choices that are pretty questionable yeah, in, right, terms in terms of, of like, being a parent yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly to most of the world and right. you know as evidenced by my father commenting on my facebook post and i'm like dad just don't look at facebook right. like you don't want to see when i'm climbing it does not make you comfortable well i mean you know in terms of I guess women's issues in climbing. Yeah. You know, that's one that's that's kind of not as well known and talked about, but this idea, yeah, that I mean anybody who looks out a side of climbing into climbing yeah. and will can be like, You can't do that, you're a parent, yeah. you know, to yeah. men and women, but Oh, to women especially it's way more yeah. of this pressure to like, no, you yeah. need to calm down because your children need yeah. you. Or it's like, you won't want what I loved when I was pregnant. is like, Oh, you won't want to do that anymore. Right. You know? And, and, and this, this total <laughs> expectation, like, Oh, just wait for it, honey. Like your yeah. life's going to change. And like this desire you have to, and like this elation you feel. And I mean, I remember last and summer, that's, the, that's coming from other women. Yeah. 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 And it's, but it's also coming from men, right. you know? And what was for me, what was really, Oh, come on. A dude told you that, like, what, you're going to feel this huge illusion. Dude, are you, or, or like, no, the, a dude told me, like, oh, you think you're going to want to keep climbing now, but you're not. Oh, really? Like, oh, totally. Yeah. When I, okay. so I was at the outdoor retailer show, not when we did our interview, but um, I had just found out I, I was pregnant with twins. So I was like three months pregnant looked like I was six months pregnant and I was like cruising around the show and just being like yeah telling people like I'm pregnant with twins and I'd say I'm pregnant and people would be like oh my god that's amazing and I'd say with twins and they're like oh you're fucked like <laughs> constantly you know and it was it got to the point where I had to come up with a response to right. it like and they were like oh great you're pregnant you're gonna be one of those families that like you're gonna all move into your Euro van and it's gonna be great oh you're having twins oh say goodbye there went your whole climbing passion and I was like wow that's really and so and to me like whenever something like that is launched at me I I just get like super uppity like a little mm-hmm. porcupine and I'm like ah, ah, I'll show you I'll show you the greatest <laughs> mom of twins ever 
and climb. Climb V14. Um, <laughs> I don't think I can actually climb like V8. So. Yeah, well. <laughs> Bouldering not. That's pretty Real hardcore. climbing? Sorry, yeah. but you know. The real climbing, oh man. <laughs> just blew up my inbox. No. Um, yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, it's an issue that people, not just women, but anybody who's going to have, who's got this very, you know, self-centered life to a certain extent. Although, you know, you had kind of moved on to, a, um, you know, a little bit of outreach away from that. Anyway, but, you know, having kids is a big deal to climbers. Some climbers are like so allergic to them yep. that like I can go to right. I, I remember being in rifle and having... Miles, the normal baby, strapped to my chest. Yeah. And, you know, dudes coming up and talking to me for 10 or 15 minutes and, like, never losing eye contact to, to like, glance down to, like, a baby <laughs> that's attached that's to my awesome. chest. Yeah, yeah. Never asking anything yeah. about the baby. Yeah. Just talking the same old beta, blah, yeah. blah, 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 and then, like, yeah. disappearing. Like, the yeah. if, if they acknowledged the baby, it was, like, a disease they were going to yeah. catch. Yeah, And, um... So anyway, let's talk a little bit about that because it's a it's a decision people I think wrestle with at least in climbing yeah, a little bit. Totally. Um, I'm not afraid to uh, to to admit that it was thrust upon me. Yeah. Um, due to biology and not understanding biology. Very <laughs> yeah, well like biology. Forty five years. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, you guys were were making a choice. You didn't obviously choose twins. Yeah. But th- it happened. Yeah. And uh, it happened naturally. Yeah. And um, so anyway, what do you what do you say to folks that are worried about it? And what do you think your resources are that have allowed you to continue to be a a, a, a climber and to live this lifestyle? And you know, it could very. I'm looking out your window right now. You know, we're near North Conway and, yeah. you know, the geography is important. It's super certainly. important. Yeah. I mean, geography is huge. And, you know, living here and having the access to amazing rock climbing, um, even better ice climbing, in my opinion. I think this is like the premier place to live in the U.S. If you're an ice and mixed climber, um, mm-hmm. you can just get it done. And lots of different conditions present themselves um, for the whole winter. And, you know, you can go climb and, and you can go do real stuff and you can get home. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really that was important before I was a parent. Um, and now it's really important as a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, I think that for me, it, it wasn't it, like there was not an option that being a parent was going to make me stop climbing. It's right. like those two things aren't in this opposition in that black and white way. It's so much more gray. Right. And that's the thing you realize when you are a person as well as a parent is that climbing becomes gray in your life, right? Because it is such a, it's such kind of like this narcissistic pursuit. It takes so much time. You know, sometimes I wish I could just be, I don't like a marathon runner. I mean, that takes a lot of time, but honestly you can like go bang out your run and you're, you're probably not going to be training for more than, you know, a couple hours a day and you go climbing and to really be a good climber, you have to devote a lot more time to it. So that means you're taking time away from other things unless you don't sleep, which does not work for me. So I think that that's just, that's, um, a question you always have to be asking yourself. And then there's this other dirty little secret that we rarely talk about with climbing, which is like a job, right? Like, and you're like, Oh, it's all about like, are you gonna be a mom? Are you gonna be, it's like, well, how are you gonna make money? You know, like, how are you actually like, you know, assuming that that's something that you have to do to exist, um, you know, like how do you pull that off? And that's, it's other pressure. And, and I feel like sometimes we divorce that reality so much from the, from the climbing conversation Mm -hmm. in part, because there's this ideology that we all are dirtbags at heart and we might all love to go sleep in the dirt, And, but you know, there's also, you know, people who have to do things like care for aging parents, you know, like take care of an actual life, figure out how to pay a mortgage, buy the sick van. And so like for me, climbing has always had to happen in concert with other things. So it's not, 
it, it's a lot harder to do it in concert with parenting, but it's not new for me. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. And I think like, um, I have, I am, I don't know. What would I say, Chris? I'm a mindful climber. Like I don't like, we all make our own rationalizations, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't do that. I do this. I'm safer because of this. Like you look at people who die, you look at your friends and you're like, you're like, well, what happened? What happened? What happened? Okay. That's, I I won't do that. Like I'll make a different choice. Right. right? And whether or not you say it out loud or whether or not you think it, we're all like, you have that moment because you're trying to like, make sure that you're, you're on a different path. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's very, uh, convenient that our brain works like that it's, that yeah. it's, it's not going to happen to me it happened to them yeah yeah and, and, and it goes for everything like yeah. anybody who's like you know has the hubris to text all the time when they're driving yeah. it's like yeah we know statistically you're a total terror but yeah you're gonna be able to handle it yeah you know or whatever yeah. happens to yeah. Be, yeah and it's like super important right. that i like so make climbing sure. wise too it's like no i'm i'm safe I'm good. I, I got this. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. But I mean, I do like, I am a, I'm a very safe climber and I, and I try to be really safe and I try to choose objectives and I try to really, I guess the thing that I, that I would say is I try to listen to <laughs> my gut. Right. Right. Like that's the, that's, I feel like the thing that I'm most responsible to is we all have that moment and, and we know whether or not it's maybe it's, maybe that moment comes too soon and we don't push ourselves enough or maybe it doesn't come soon enough and we're like always like getting hurt or but like for me I feel like I have to trust that and especially now as a mom it's like if I get this moment I'm like this doesn't feel good or like maybe like with ice climbing which like I'm super passionate about and it's like maybe I should place another screw I put another screw in you know and like I went and did this climb a couple weeks ago that excuse me that I've wanted to do here forever and it's never like been in condition and I've been in the right space to do it I was climbing with a friend of mine named Ray Rice, who's like local legend. He's like super awesome, badass and good friend of mine. And, you know, gives me reams of a hard time. And he's like, seriously, you're gonna put another screw. And he's like, you have a screw at your foot. He's like, actually, that's at your knee. I'm like, I don't care. My brain is telling me that like, you know, and I was like, it will take me longer. I will hold on more. I will be more pumped, but I will pull this off, you know? And like, so those are sort of the choices that I'm making within it. Right. And it's like, and I feel okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. But it is funny because you know, I mean, it's still just like you drew a line <laughs> yeah. and that's it's your like line. an arbitrary line, yeah, right? Because like, I, my like, line stopped at ice cream. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, I'm not going to do that. I, mean, I used to, it used to be, but there, yeah. then I was just, I mean, it had as much to do. It actually probably, it had more to do with, you know, comfort mm-hmm. than, than necessarily at the risk. Yeah. But it's more of that in retrospect. Yeah. And, and as I've lived longer and, and yeah. ice climbing's, you know, been, yeah. been fatal to people I know yeah. Yeah. more so at least whatever, maybe just it happened to be statistically yeah. than climbing. Like that's my line. Yeah. So it's, you know, we yeah. have our, we lines. all have our lines yeah. and we just, we like build right. up a little house yeah. around them. Yeah, and it's exactly. like, this is how this makes sense. Yeah, my extra screw. Yeah. I'm like, me. I'm really fast. I'm right. putting another screw in, right. you know, yeah. and it's and that like, that was the difference between me and you crazy risk taker. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> and then, you know, so in mine is that like, yeah, mine is, I don't ice climb yeah. other than, you know, once a year in Ure on yeah. top rope. Yeah. Um, if it's warm enough, <laughs> this, this year it was a little too cold for yeah. me. And, 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 you know, we were joking about suddenly becoming a, a Himalayan climber, yeah. but you know, the last couple of times, because I started, I just, like, there was like a 15 year gap in my ice climbing and I started yeah. ice climbing at your age, just, you know, we're there. Yeah. And 
and I was like, yeah, these, this stuff all works way better than it used to. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, yeah. I was straight chef. Oh, totally. Far yeah. back. And so, yeah. and so I, I always, every time I'm there, I get a little bit of, oh, this actually could be cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I have resources to get my hands totally. in here and, yeah. you know, so I, there's a moment where I leave your and I'm like, and also, you know, the park's jammed with people. Yeah. So we never get to get on anything cool. Yeah. And so I always leave. I'm like, I should... I should just come down here this winter, not on this weekend. Yeah. When in, I can get like some climbing in and I'll find, you know, I have tons of friends that. Yeah. And you'll just like, like have such a good time. Yeah. And they're like pots. It's a slippery when, slope you know, though, though, pot, you know, they want you, you to yeah. ice climb. Yeah. Like it, uh-huh. That's the, it's like their whole thing. <laughs> like I, we pot smokers always want you to smoke weed, yeah. especially when they find out you don't smoke weed. Yeah. But anyway, the, and then I like, by the time I get home though, I'm just like, there's no way I'm going to walk in that door and tell Steph that yeah. I'm suddenly an ice climber yeah. again. Yeah. You know, cause it, for me, like, again, it's that idea of reintroducing it at this point without, like, a serious justification. Yeah. It would be really hard. Yeah. You know? And I think it's and like... So that's my line, you know? Yeah. It's like, how much am I taking on? How much am I asking right. if you do have a partner that you're parenting with? Like, and if you're lucky and... Uh, let's just say lucky and be positive, like lucky to have a partner right. that you're parenting with. Like it's gonna, you know, there's a mutuality in that decision and there are consequences with right. it, you know? And I mean, Peter and I are constantly trying to, I mean, we are like so brand new to this still. And we're like, okay, so how is this going to work that right. we both are climbing for work and we're both climbing personally and how do trips work? And you know, are we doing like a tit for tat accounting? And you know, the other day, like we had this huge conversation mm-hmm. and I was like, I want 20 days, God damn it for being pregnant. Like I want to have earned 20 days for not climbing for the whole time I was pregnant and like for the and like I'm still breastfeeding so I have he's like well you can go on a trip I'm like but I can't because I'm breastfeeding he's like well you can stop breastfeeding I'm like that's not fair I just give me I'm like I just want 20 days right. he's like really that's gonna make you happy I'm like yeah he's like okay like fine you have 20 days yeah he's like you got him I'm like thank you I'm row. like if you could just start with that this whole thing would have gone so much more smoothly just 20 row. days no I'll, I'll probably not want to take 20 days in a row for a really long time but I just mm-hmm. want, I just want to know I got 20 days Chris mm-hmm. like you know it just makes me feel better right. it's like I'm like hey breathe you know okay I got 20 days that's I need cool yeah. yeah I just got um I just got handed two weeks yeah 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 at the end of May yeah see so yeah yeah, yeah. you're just like yeah yeah it was out of the blue but huh. um yeah Cool. So, well, I mean, you, what's your plan with weaning? <laughs> well, I'm going to Mozambique for two weeks in August. Okay. So that's definitely going to have to happen before then. Okay. <laughs> or I'm going to get on the plane and yeah. uh, just say, you know, I love you and um, and and the kids will. Have by the time fun I come, weaning them. Yeah. <laughs> have fun putting up with. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> Have fun trying to get them yeah. to eat. And I'll try not to have a like a breast infection while I'm in Mozambique. It'll right. be, you know? Yeah, that would be unfortunate. Yeah, they're great. They're they're gonna do just fine. Yeah, so. that's super cool. Yeah. You know, and and like you just said, economics plays into everything. Yeah. In terms of how you can get it done. And yeah. um You know, we live in New Hampshire and the cost of living here, I mean, we used to live in Boulder and I mean, those, those are totally different realities. And one of the reasons we made the choice to fully move here was because we could do more. We could go like our money can go further here. Right. right? You know? And so it's like, we can like, we can actually try to carve the time out to have climbing time together Mm -hmm. um, versus feel like we both have to be working, you know, 45, 50 hours a week. And then how do you have that extra time? And to me, it's also really important to be a mom. Like I didn't just like... I want to spend time with my kids. I want to be able to like enjoy it and not just like, and that's something that I'm always trying to check in with myself. I don't just want to be like with my kids on the margin of everything. Right. Like I want to like make the choices to be with my kids. Well, and it's interesting you say that because even this whole conversation up Mm -hmm. until you said that it can seem like 
you know, from the moment the kids pop out, now, yeah. we're, now we're scheming. Yeah. Like to get away from them. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And yeah. it's, you know, and, and I do think you can sort of catch yourself in that yeah. mode yeah. of like, wait a second, I'm, is it really, am I really obsessing about getting away from this, yeah. this thing that I actually totally enjoy? Yep. But the reality of it is, is that, yeah, there's a point at which, you know, well, what happened with mine, yeah. my, my, uh, with Steph giving me two weeks yeah. is that we, I was gone. I took him for Christmas by myself oh, okay. and Steph, cause she had to work. And so, and so it was like really the first kind of big block. Yeah. yeah. And when I got home, she's like, you really need to do that too. Yeah. Because it was like, it actually was really nice once you yeah. know, I caught up with sleep, which took a few days. Yeah, exactly. You know? And then yeah. all of a sudden I was like normal again. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, you need to experience that as well. Yeah. Um, Cause I hadn't really pushed for it. Yeah. But part of me wasn't pushing for it because I didn't want to seem, you know, and, and also I didn't you know, feel, I kind of felt a little bit of guilt of that, of like, am I really scheming to get away from this little guy? Yeah. But then he, I mean, then you become neurotic. So you have to just like, remember. It's so hard. Yeah. And and for me, what I try to do is I'm like every week I look at my, I, you know, I kind of look at the week and I say, okay, what is like the really fun thing I'm going to try to do with the kids this week? Mm -hmm. And I mean, part of the time it backfires because they're throwing up then and blah, 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 you know, but like, I'm like, okay, great. Like I don't. And when I say the margins, because you know, our kids go to this Montessori program, we have some help, you know, like, yeah. uh, you know, and, and like, it'd be pretty easy for me to only see my kids, you know, most days at, from like five o'clock on. But the whole point of living the life I live is that I don't have to do that. I can right. choose to work sometimes at night right. and I can like, frankly, kids aren't that fun every night. I mean, you're about to see my kids from like five thirty to six thirty is not their prime time, you know? So it's like, to, why would you only choose to be with you? It's like, if you don't have to, and I, I'm in a, I'm in the position in life right. because of the career that I have and how I like can work work at different times where I don't, so, so I try to like remind myself and call BS on myself about right. that a little bit, you know, right. and be like, okay, cool. Like, no, like I will take the hit and like work late into the night on that day so that I can spend this awesome morning going to music class with my kids and then going sledding. Yeah. Cause they're more fun. Yeah. Morning, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's, I mean, I'm sure people listening with kids, you know, they're nodding their heads. Yes, and they're, sometimes they're shaking their yeah. heads. No, because their situation's completely totally. different, yeah. and they don't. You know, they do have the nine to five or yeah. You know, so but then they're also probably but, you know trying to make the time on the weekends. I yeah. mean, most weekends like I'm guiding or you yeah. know, so it's like it'd be yeah. really easy to get yourself into that position. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I I want to have everything. Yeah. And I, I mean, I want to go live on a sailboat with my kids for a year and I don't know how to sail. I mean, I don't know if I'll pull that off, but like, that's like this dream of mine. Right. right? I'm like, that sounds so cool. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh yeah, that probably wouldn't mean climbing. Okay. That's cool. Anyway. I want to like, do Columbia. With yeah. Them. Yeah. But See? I don't know how to do that either. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you have these like dreams and yeah. you're like, okay, like what, when and how, how do I do this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, you know, let's just bring it back again. So this is, you think this is, uh, you know, your, your sort of direction for the foreseeable future in terms of, of a growing this program yep. in Mozambique and then this hopefully 
passing that off to start something else or to or working with it to program. bring it to these other mountain areas right. yeah, you know to, so basically like leading that charge mm-hmm. yeah yeah but, but a lot what does of that look i mean what is what would that look like in terms of an organization so what that looks like from an organizational yeah. standpoint is like we say okay here's like there's another mountain in mozambique that we've been looking at and we've been like saying okay the biodiversity level is off the charts the human population pressure okay. is there so how do we go in and it's like well again we partner with local organizations right. okay. you know so it's very much somewhat formulaic and somewhat yeah, not so ho- right like hopefully it, you can yeah you can have this this sort of a pliable framework exactly and one of the things we're trying to do is like really open source the framework and also be really critical about it and continue like refine it and say okay this worked and granted then you have to take it to the next place and say well that actually doesn't work here that part of it but the idea of it does work and so how can you then like keep recasting it and that that isn't that the yeah i mean it's all about scaling it right it's about um you know and and to me that's fascinating to actually be able to like because you can have so much more impact and you can actually like move the needle on this yeah, greater conversation right. of mountain conservation and that's the thing that i'm obsessed because i mean it seems like that's like the that's the also the achilles heel of so many of these organizations where they have they come in with something that worked somewhere else and then just beat their head against the oh wall and then they're just like entrenched like, in it and yeah. force it down the throats of the new situation so yeah that's a yeah. great point and i yeah. think that part of this has to you know i mean i think the roots of what we've done have been like okay it's like you know really nimble it's really um like i've said it was scrappy from the beginning and it can like we continue to use that and i think like when we stop doing that when if if legato becomes a lumbering giant multinational NGO that can't have maneuverability right. and we basically became the thing that said no to us in the beginning, then I have a problem, right? right? Like I don't want, that's not the goal of this. It's to actually and I, need an intervention. Yeah. Please intervene. <laughs> when you're showing up in, in high heels and like a linen, you know, linen pants to, to your, to your outpost, you know, there <laughs> you, go. Out of your, you can have the intervention. Your, like, then. You, you, you guys are all driving, um, your SUVs. I love it. You have this whole image, you know? know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it seems like sometimes these big NGOs, it's like the people running them are, are so detached from what, what it actually is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, that image, yeah. doors open up and out you come and with your parasol. And yeah. I mean, and it, <laughs> how's it, everything going boys? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it takes all of it right. to actually, you know, I mean, that's the thing is once you're in the trenches with anything, right. With parenting, with climbing, with conservation work, you suddenly are like a lot more appreciative of every, what everybody else is doing and what they have done to move, right. um, to, to move us along. And, and you get like why it becomes that way. You get why it takes, why you want to have 16 projects because then you have enough critical mass and enough critical funds in the bank account that you could move around versus like waiting to make sure your grant, your next grant mm-hmm. of $4,000, which is a godsend for us. And we are deeply appreciative of all of you listening who want to give us that from your, you know, personal bank account or family foundation. But when you're sitting there waiting for that to be able to green light the work that you're mm-hmm. doing, you're like, oh yeah, that's why a big NGO is a really nice thing. <laughs> well, why don't you try next time to, to uh, conserve a mountain that has better climbing because <laughs> then you could do both then you would that would start you know fulfill your yeah you know i know I'm gonna... that's awesome i will keep that in mind please because i'm trying to help climbers be better than ourselves right, right because... i know i'm joking yeah i know you're such a it's classic i'll work uh, on no that. you people you you guys keep logging this, this mountain's worth this uh we're going we're going somewhere yeah, this place has rock. no cracks like we really don't want to pay attention to it you know <laughs> well my joke highlights the fact that it's good for you it it, it, it plays well on you like I, I 
pointed out in the beginning of this is that, you know, this is not saving a climbing area for climbing, which is, is fine. And in, in not to bust on the people that yep. do that, because that needs to be done. Yep. And um, I'm all for it and I'm involved in it in, yep. in some ways. But um, it is interesting that 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 wasn't I mean, that climbing be, is not really the issue here. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, it's sort of this even like a global conservation idea. Yeah. Of uh, anyway. Um, well, great. Thanks for sitting down. You bet. I hope this one sticks. Yeah. Anything else? <laughs> No, you want to go see, hang out with the twins? I do. All Are right. they home? I bet they're going to be home in a moment. They'll okay, come and put cool. their sticky hands all over you. You're That's you're fine. like in it. Look, yeah. I know. Kidding? I'm like, we have a professional. I told them. I'm like, yeah. we have a dad who knows all about your age. Like, he's going to, yeah. I yeah. do. We're, I we're actually, some, Peter and I are going to go on a date. You're going to oh, take shit. care of the kids. <laughs> this is what this is all about. <laughs> Hell yeah, it's sweet. Oh, I wow. would actually. I'd totally be happy to do that. Okay, as long as you can both baths, because that's yeah. when it's really exciting by yourself. Really? Yeah, two two on one baths. I tell you, the 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 whole. I, I mean, I was. We should have these... done this after you saw the twins. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think. Um, I mean, you were talking about people going like, "You're fucked." Yeah. I mean, I didn't say quite that. My emails were like, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. I can't imagine. Because we talk about it all the time. We talk about that. And also um, being a single parent. Yeah. I'm just like, whew. Yeah. You know, good on you. And yeah. that whole conversation we just had about yeah. about how to make life work. I mean, I, that, different, yeah. who knows? Yeah. And, I know. So much respect for... Right. I mean, that's the thing. It's you, It's so freaking humanizing to become a parent yeah, you're like sure. oh i am not that special like everybody does this yeah. and everybody goes through this and it's so hard you yeah. just like you feel like you walk around the grocery store just bowing down to everybody and be like oh my god i never gave like i just give so much more respect to everybody in the world because of going through this experience yeah i know yeah the you like had sort of a disdain for breeders normalcy yeah. yeah and just like normal people you're like i'm not normal right. and then you're like Oh, I am so normal. Like yeah. I am being thrown up on. I am right. like, you know, dealing with boogers. I have like mm -hmm. a total tantrum kid. Like you are just like normal, normal, normal. And that's, mm -hmm. I think maybe a great way to be a human. All right, folks, thanks for listening. And thanks to Micah for having me into her home to sit down get this one done while the twins were off playing with the babysitter and her husband Peter was out guiding so we kind of got it done in the afternoon just before the kids got home perfect I think of this one as part of a suite with last episode 145 with Mary Harlan two women trying to have it all trying to get it done trying to keep climbing and uh, Mike has chosen to keep it a little more within climbing than Mary but her conservation efforts obviously go much beyond climbing so Hats off to her trying to juggle all that stuff. I actually saw it going down when the twins got home. Juggling. Almost literally juggling twins. And if you are interested in what Micah has going on, especially over in Mozambique, you can go to MicahBurhart.com, click on Social Enterprises and Legato. That's where you'll find the stuff. And yeah, Micah's a little weird to spell. You'll figure it out, but I'll give you a hint. You wouldn't be the first one to call her Magica. And remember, if you want to help out the podcast, you can by going to enormacast.com, clicking on the Help Out tab, my junky 8th grade project website. And there's a list of things you can do to help out the podcast, including, if you feel so inclined, donating to the podcast. And I know, 
podcasts are free. You can get them for free, but I think that donating to things like this, and I throw some money around to all sorts of things in the climbing community, helps you feel connected. So consider it a little bit of money from a lot of people goes a long way to help this thing keep going. All right, enough about finance. At least in North America, the spring has sprung in many places across the continent. It's always a good time to review your safety the first few times you get out on warm, delicious rock and are overwhelmed by the beauty of it all. Remember, use communication, make sure your gear's in order, and of course, check your knot. Animalia, phylum, cordata, the class is mammalia, cause boobies, we gotta, order is primate, family, hominidae, the genus is homo, but you know you're into me, cause I am in the species known as sapien, dogs used to eat me, but now they bring the paper in, it's gonna take a lot to get me away from you, damn, damn, there's nothing that a hundred men or more could ever do, sapien, I bless the rains down in Africa. I bless the rains down in